the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management, and we're happy to have you with us. And for the next hour, we'll be talking about financial independence, working toward it. That is really what retirement is all about. You want to take advantage of the work that you have done and the money that you have saved, and you are saving, aren't you? If you are not, well, the best time to start is right now. And that's what we will talk about, how to grow your wealth so that when you are retired, or when you are financially independent, you can live life on terms that's a little bit more pleasant than having that volatility that we see out there in the markets right now. And they help you work toward that at Aptus by offering you a free consultation. 614-917-1040 is their phone number if you'd like to set that up on the phone. You can also make your appointment online. Their website is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, a bit north of 23 and 270. You can send me an email, bruce at salemmedia.com, if you have questions for Josh, and we will incorporate those into future programming. And this show will air tomorrow, re-air rather, at noon on Saturday. So Josh, welcome in. And we usually talk in the first segment about current events. Not a whole lot going on other than maybe give us a view of how the markets reacted this week. Was there anything that was... uh, Uh, a tell or anything that really forced markets to react in one way or another? Do we have any definitive ideas of where things are trending? Are we still kind of up in the air as inflation and market volatility continue to be an issue? Well, of course, there's always things going on in the market, right? As we sit, if we're even looking right now, there's a big conversation about, you know, the expenditures on electric vehicles by Mm -hmm. the federal government. I mean, there's always something significant going on. But I would say, you know, of the last six to seven months or so, this week has been a relatively calm week in the markets, which I'm sure is very welcome by most um, as, you know, volatility has been kind of kind of king lately. I think as far as what are people looking for, and by people I mean specifically traders, um, and what's going to happen with the economy and how that impacts what stocks they purchase, uh, what positions they take in bonds, gold, et cetera, would be still a lot of eyes on the Fed, um, a lot of eyes on um, the uh a lot of eyes on Washington, yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Uh, particularly, there's been a lot of gaffes here in the White House as of late. And, you know, there's some real big questions as to what does the future of the White House look like? What does the future of the House of the Senate look like? Because that could take some of the policies of an institute and really solidify them for the next, you know, four to five, six years. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, it's inarguable that monetary policy or approaches to just how the federal government spends is a controversial issue. I mean, we have a debt ceiling that the Republicans passed in the House. And part of that 
is a deal to cut spending, reduce spending. The Democrats don't uh, at least outwardly say that they're interested in that. They say that the uh, effort to raise the debt ceiling under those terms is dead on arrival. So Joe Biden continues to uh, uh, identify ways to bring more prosperity to the economy by spending more. It's a philosophical difference that he has with Republicans. And we're not here to say whether one is right or one is wrong. We're just here to say, like, what kind of impact does that have on people's investments? And uh, a couple of weeks ago, the major news of the day was that Silicon Valley Bank and other banks were in peril or maybe were bailed out or were they or weren't they. And I think a lot of people thought that, oh, the banking kind of drama is over and behind us. But this week, probably the dominant financial headline is that First Republic Bank has had a dramatic plummet in its stock value of 40 percent, which re kind of kindles the idea that, oh, the banks are in trouble and those kinds of headlines definitely make people more antsy as it concerns like, hey, I've saved. Is my savings safe? And particularly for people, it, it, it sounds very reminiscent uh, of the 2008-2009 crisis when we were talking about this bank's in trouble, this stock's plummeting, this one's plummeting. But on the surface, let's just ignore that obviously it's a it's a big issue if banks start having difficulty. Banks are really, quite frankly, the bedrock Mm-hmm. Of financial transactions in the United States. I mean, we, as much as we may say we hate banks, at the same time, I'm sure everybody listening right now has a checking and a savings account, and we use banks on a daily basis through transactions. So their their position in our economy is critical. And I think we oftentimes think about, well, we want to make sure that our money is safe at the bank, which makes logical sense. But the other thing that banks do that we can't ignore is lend money. And when banks are in dire straits and having difficulties, they're certainly not lending more money if they can't even pay back, you know, the the uh, the people that they owe money to sure. uh, currently in the way of you know depositors. So when our banking system gets in trouble, it has a systemic impact on companies, individuals, people's ability to borrow money to generate, you know, economic growth. So if we're talking about economic growth. Start with the banking system better be pretty darn stable, and it doesn't look like people feel that way. No, it doesn't. And, you know, uh, we all have that image in our minds going back to it's a wonderful life of a run on banks, and that's why we have insured deposits is because the Great Depression, there was a run on banks. And, you know, in investing, it seems to me like we, we talk a lot about kind of historical perspectives on investing, and a lot of what you do is evaluating market conditions and finding out, okay, well, we've had uh, similar market conditions in the past. This is how uh, we, in hindsight, should have reacted. So now that we're faced with these same kind of conditions, we're going to predict our response to that based upon what's happened before. And if you look at uh, this banking, if you want to call it a crisis, it's really related to something that very similar that happened in the 80s. I remember when I was just out of college, we had the SNL crisis, the savings and loan crisis, which was at another time of high inflation, another time when the Fed was raising rates, another time when the quote-unquote bank, savings and loan, was uh, you know earning less on their fixed-rate mortgages and things like that while having to pay higher interest rates. So, I don't know, uh, did we make new mistakes that put us back in this situation? Did the banks make new mistakes? Because you would think, like, if we went through this in the 80s, why would a bank or a savings and loan or some kind of that kind of institution... Why would they put themselves in that situation again? That's a darn good question. Uh, you know, you could come up with, you could hypothesize or pontificate on what that might be. You could say that most of the people running the banks 
weren't even old enough to experience sure, the 1980s crisis, or sure. maybe they were kids. You know, um, you know, I was a child. I was a child of the 70s, and you know, while I was alive during the 80s crises, I, I certainly didn't have a bank account. Uh, so maybe that's the case. The other is maybe there's this general belief that you know we've put in regulations in place that will prevent this from happening again. But I promise you that uh, ill-advised decision-making is a pretty consistent thing, no matter what the regulations mm-hmm. are. Um, and then there's this belief that you know bankers, to a certain degree, um, and this is investors in general, rather than being pragmatic, they can get emotional. Um, now, their decisions are just bigger numbers, but they're still emotional and saying, mm-hmm. this too shall pass. Let's get in front of it, and we can make hay while the sun shines, and then it gets away from them, which is what happened in Silicon Valley Bank, for example, I don't think there was ever a belief that they were going to get called on their long-term decisions. And if they didn't get called, it was a lucrative decision based upon the options available. The problem was they got called. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, that's the worst kind of a situation. And that's what, obviously, we are trying to avoid putting uh, people who listen to this show in. And that is what you help them deal with, that risk, that volatility at Aptus Wealth Management. He's Josh Pick. I'm Bruce Hooley. And you can get a hold of Josh and his team for your no-obligation consultation by setting up your appointment for that consultation via the phone. Call them, make your appointment, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment on their website. Their URL is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Everybody wants to have a financial nest egg when you cease working every single day, and you want to know that that nest egg is protected and diversification is a part of that. And it seems to me like every time we get some uncertainty out there, there is one place that people run to or one popular you know, idea is, is uh, postulated, and that idea is, well, uh, it's risky here, it's risky here, it's risky here, I'm going to put my money in gold, 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 gold. And you've dealt with that not just now, but you've dealt with it in the past. So what's up in the gold situation? How do you talk to clients who say, well, things are volatile, Josh, I, I better be in gold? Well, let's first talk about there is value in gold. Mm -hmm. So why do people even have that conversation? Because historically speaking, during tumultuous times, gold is a good storage of perceived, at least perceived value. Uh, So much so that it would be naive for us to ignore that up until the 70s, every U.S. dollar, the greenback, was backed by gold until the Nixon administration pulled us off of the gold standard. So, you know, this belief that gold is this finite resource that has intrinsic value, not only in just, you know, kind of the perceived value of gold is worth something, but also we use them in a lot of different things. And, you know, we make it in jewelry. We Mm -hmm. use it for computer electronics. The list goes on. So there is value in gold. And historically speaking, you referenced earlier back to the 70s and 80s, you know, there during the time of this rising inflation, Gold would have been a good place to put your money. During 2008, 2009, gold would have been a good place to put your money. The unfortunate part, though, is people get very polarized. Stocks are the best place to put your money yesterday. Now, today, gold, 100% of your money in gold (laughs) is the good place to put your money. And then, well, tomorrow, maybe it's, you know, agriculture. And then maybe the following day, whatever whatever it might be. And... You know, the one thing that we can prove historically, unless you went back in time like they did in Back to the Future and you Biff got the almanac mm-hmm. and then he came back and bet on the whole on all the on the uh, all the sporting events. Yeah. Unless you have the almanac, 
you are doing something we call day trading or guessing. Um, and that just really hasn't proved to be a very good strategy. Now, what, is, what would be a good strategy? If you believe, hey, it's a pretty tumultuous time. Maybe I should pull back the reins a little bit. I don't want to be 100% in stocks anymore. Maybe I don't want to be in the standard 60-40 stock bond portfolio because that didn't serve me very well last year when stocks and bonds were both down double digits. Um, and it doesn't look like interest rates are coming down anytime soon, so it doesn't look like the outlook for bond funds is going to look super great moving forward. Maybe I want to diversify some of those positions by hedging some of the strategies, and that's just simply putting stop losses on some things, meaning mm -hmm. if the market corrects, I only have the ability to lose so much. Or maybe it's going into alternative asset classes like agriculture, like gold, uh, and there's a myriad of other things, currency, buying. You know, Maybe you believe that the U.S. dollar is weakening. Well, your only option is not gold. You could buy euros to offset the U.S. dollar, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you know what I would caution people on is don't take this approach of, well, I was here and I'm scared of here, so I'm going to swing the whole pendulum all the way over to the other side, and gold is the miracle cure. Because I've said this before, Bruce, the only investment that's been worse than cash over time in the United States has been gold for the last 100 years. Yeah, well, uh, it's got good press because people tend to think that gold and silver and precious metals is something that, uh, you know, is infallible and uh, unimpeachable as an investment. And, you know, we've got obviously facts, figures, research, analysis that show that that may not be the case. And that's why it pays to have, makes sense to have, a fiduciary like Josh and the Aptus team, because a fiduciary is legally required, legally required, not just ethically, but legally required to do what is best for you as their client. So you can get a hold of Josh and his team for your free consultation, get to know them, let them get to know you, no obligation. Their number is 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. The other headline this week was that the uh, economy grew 1.1% in the first quarter. It's modest, according to what they would love to see it do, and that has heightened the uh, fears of a recession. Some people say it's imminent. Split down the middle, about 50% of economists say it is, 50% say it is not, so somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. And when people turn out to be wrong, uh, they always, uh, well, at least a lot of times, feel like, man, there's a mistake. I wish I hadn't made that mistake. What over the years or what maybe now uh, do you hear from your clients? Do they ever voice what their biggest mistake is uh, relative to investing in the past? Because we certainly hope that that doesn't happen, their biggest mistake in the future. Well, I, I think there's there's two mistakes. There's mistakes of committing them, and mm -hmm. then there's mistakes of omission. And I would say that you know, at least my biggest mistakes are mistakes of omission, not commission. Meaning, I thought this was the right choice to make. I just didn't actually pull the trigger on it. Mm. And then it turns out to be an amazing choice. And I, well, I could have made a whole bunch of money on that decision. And I didn't. The, you know, mistake of commission would be, well, I invested in that and it went belly up. Now, we've been very fortunate that I've very rarely made those decisions. And I've made more right decisions than we've made wrong. Um, and we're always going to err on the side of caution because this is people's hard-earned money. We want to make sure that we don't lose that money. Our number one goal is always mitigate risk, eliminate risk. You know, Warren Buffett says rule number one of investing, don't lose money. Rule number two hmm. is always remember rule number one and then start making money after that. Well, that's that's our approach. However, uh, when I speak to clients, they have, you know, a lot of, you know, regrets. Everybody does, particularly if you're speaking to somebody who's in their 70s and 80s. You know, we all have regrets throughout our life. 
Um, but I did read an article here recently, and this was very interesting to me, where it was, uh, and I can't remember the, you know, the, the research entity that did the, the, the study, but it, it said that 50% of the U.S. population has w- at least one significant financial regret, which was not shocking to me. So that's Yeah, not, I'm actually surprised it's not higher. It's not surprising. But what was surprising of that 50%, roughly 30% of them said their number one regret was retiring too early. That was, in fact, shocking. Hmm. And again, it didn't go in deeper to say, what is that regret? But I would caution people, uh, you know, retirement is very romantic. And we're in the retirement planning business, as yep. many would say. Yep. I would say we're in the financial independence business, not in the retirement planning business. I want to get you to a position where you can do what you want, not what you have to. That doesn't necessarily mean leaving your job or not working anymore. But I think we look at retirement and we think about it romantically of, I don't like my job. I can't wait to quit it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we neglect, what am I going to do when I quit my job? Have I fully calculated out in order to do the things that are going to make me happy in retirement? Is that the same dollar amount is the amount of money that's going to make me happy while I am working? Because remember now, you know, you might be working eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day. You're going to have to fill that time with something. Maybe that's something for you costs maybe money. Maybe it doesn't, but you should spend a tremendous amount of time and effort, not just coming up with your financial plan, but coming up with your retirement activity plan or whatever it's going to give you value and whatever is going to make you feel like you're living a purpose-driven life. That's interesting. Really interesting that 29% of the uh, half the people who say they have a big regret, uh, I would tend to think that a large, the largest portion of that would be people who invested someplace, you know, unwisely lost all their money or whatever. But that's a pretty significant amount. A third of those say that they retired too early because you're right. We are kind of prisoner to these um, uh, nirvana type expectations. We have a retirement. It'll be great. I'll play golf every day. I'll lay on the beach drinking Mai Tais or whatever. Um, so you've dealt with a lot of people who have retired. Uh, do people often kind of take a U-turn or a significant turn in terms of what they plan to do in retirement and what they end up doing? And is that often financially driven? Because I would tend to think if people say 29% uh, of the 50% who have a regret, uh, maybe they just didn't have the money to fund what they wanted to do. But maybe that's not related or the cause of their quote-unquote regret. These are clearly all generalities, right? Everybody's different. Sure. Uh, I think the the record in our office is we have somebody who's retired seven times. So, and it's wow. not a financial issue. It is a, I retired, I was bored, I went back and mm-hmm. went to work somewhere. And I'm not talking about going back and, you know, getting a five-hour week part-time job. I mean, went back to work. Really? So not everybody is, quite frankly, cut out. For retirement, people find their purpose through work sometimes, and that's fine. Not judging that. Um, People who have a tremendous amount of hobbies and uh, maybe charitable uh, activities, Mm -hmm. endeavors, right? Those people seem to do very, very well in retirement. Their time is filled. They have friendships. They have a network of people that provides them with enjoyment the people who I see who don't seem to enjoy retirement that much and or fall into a pattern of health issues. And this 
might not be a, a great thing to say, but it's the people who don't have any hobbies, don't know what they're going to do, retired because they can afford it, not because they can enjoy it, and just call it and sit in front of the TV all day. And you'll see their health cliff very quickly. Mm-hmm. You can almost tell when they come into the office, they, they retire and they're, they're, they're excited and vibrant. And five years later, we have the meeting. And, and I'm not talking they went from 80 to 90. Yeah. I'm saying they went from 62 to 67, and they look 30 years older. Wow. Um, so, you know, one of the questions that I ask always when somebody says, I think I'm ready, I'm going to retire. My first question is not the financial question. It's what are you going to do? Because part of my job, I think, well, I'm an investment guy, mm-hmm. clearly. But part of my job is to make sure that you don't regret the decisions that you make based upon your finances but you didn't quite think through all the way. Yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, you're about at Aptis getting people set up to retire successfully or to change their course of their life or whatever successfully. And part of that, of course, is the financial piece, but part of that also is the the fulfillment piece. And so having a plan, I mean, you want people to have a plan for retirement, for investing, and for managing risk and volatility and all that. I think it's interesting that you – also make a part of that planning for what you're going to do. And you guys can set up a consultation with Josh and his team at Aptus, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Their office is located in Lewis Center. It's not far from uh, 270 and 23. And if you're out of the area and you think, wow, I'd you know like to invest being a client, investigate being a client, but uh, I'm not in the area. I'm not in central Ohio. That doesn't matter. They can service uh, their clients remotely. That's one of the uh, outcomes of the pandemic that we all now can communicate with anybody anywhere. So 614-917-1040 to set up your consultation with Josh and his team. Do you find that people have a realistic uh, idea of their kind of timetable for retirement? Or do you have many clients that you surprise by saying, hey, your investments have performed to a level that if you want to retire the financial part of it, you can. Is that a revelation to people or is that something that most of them are tracking pretty closely and they know the answer before you tell them? It's a mixed bag. Um, From my perspective, it's always good to be the person to tell somebody they can retire and they had no idea. For other clients, sometimes I'm just reaffirming what they've already calculated out on their 14, you know, workbook page Excel spreadsheet. You know, everybody's Mm -hmm. different. Um, I think, you know, speaking back to what we were talking about before of, you know, what does a happy retirement look like? I, I think it points to what should my job actually be? Why are you even hiring a financial person to mm-hmm. begin with? Because let's be fair, you're paying me to do it. So sure. what are you paying me for? And I would argue that people are paying you for your educational background, for your experience as far as it relates to finance and avoiding bad decisions, making good decisions, making sure you're taking advantage of tax code as best you can, minimizing taxes, maximizing your likelihood of success, maximizing your return, all the things that most people would know. Mm -hmm. But you're also paying for my experience in dealing with people in your situation every single day over and over and over again and being able to tell you the missteps that I saw them take that might not even be financial. So, you know, what what is a misstep? Well, I want to retire and buy this fancy, you know, RV and drive around the country. Now, that's what my parents wanted to do. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. But let me ask you a few questions before you do that, because I've had lots of clients do that and get three states over and go, what the hell did we buy this expensive RV for? (laughs) I don't even like driving, right? Because it sounds romantic, but maybe we haven't thought it through. And I'm not alluding to the fact that 
you know, everybody listening isn't, you know, at least as intelligent or more intelligent than me and they can make their own decisions. All I'm saying is maybe you need a, a mirror sometimes to spin around and ask you the questions that you need to be asked both financially and what the heck are you going to do when you actually pull the report to retirement? Yeah. And so that requires planning and it requires some uh, contemplative thought. And that is all a part of the consultation when you get with Josh and his team at Aptus. My wife and I have sat for that consultation and we became clients. And our strategy in this volatile time is one that gives us some upside to the markets, some upside to our investments, but limits our risk. We have time to get to that place where we actually do disengage from the workplace on a daily basis. Everybody's situation is different. Josh and his team at Aptus are fiduciaries, so they are legally obligated to do what is best for you. And maybe you're a fit for them. Maybe they're a fit for you. You won't know until you sit for and take advantage of the no-obligation consultation. You can set that up by making a phone call to their office, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Tell your friends about it and make sure that if you uh, really like it or you missed something, you'd like to hear it again, catch the replay tomorrow at noon. And join us for Money Monday on Monday at 1230 on The Bruce Willie Show with Josh. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And for the next half hour, we are going to be talking about managing your money, growing your money, how you invest your money, planning for retirement, planning for financial independence. Josh and the Aptus team are located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, 614-917-1040, their number at the office. You can also find them on the web at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Why is that relevant? Because you can set up a free consultation with the Aptus team. And if you don't have a plan, now's the best time to get one. And Josh, when we talk about retirement, a big piece of retirement, and there are many pieces to it, often is Social Security. And there are expectations that people have with what Social Security will be. And what I've noticed in talking to people who are getting ready to retire they see it out there on the horizon, and then they hear the headlines come from Washington, D.C., that Social Security is going to be insolvent, that Social Security might not be there to the extent that they want it to be there, and that there might be one party or another party that's going to finagle Social Security, reduce it, or raise the retirement age, or whatever. And we even see headlines from other countries where people riot over a change in the retirement age. And I've seen people get really like go from zero to 60 in terms of anger and passion when you talk about their social security. And I tend to think that uh, managing people's wealth like you do as a financial advisor and uh, an investment counselor, that maybe social security isn't a big piece of a lot of your clients, but I know you identify with the emotion that is often attached to that issue. Yeah, and I think, I don't know exactly when this took place, but at some point we started actually calling these programs entitlement spending. Ooh, that's entitlement true. Entitlement programs. Yes. And I think words are important. So how can you not be upset if you say I'm entitled to something and then you might take it away? Yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing, you know, we can't ignore that we're paying into this. So for you to say it's not going to be there when I get there, you did one of two things. One of three things. You either lied to me in the beginning and you're running a Ponzi scheme. Number two, you came up with a program that isn't actually a viable program or you've been stealing from it. Those are the only three options in people's heads. 
the reality of the program, although some of those other things I would say are arguably true, we can't ignore this simple mathematical equation that mm-hmm. is Social Security. It was started back in 1935. They called it the Older Workers Retirement Act. They changed the name not long after that to Social Security. The whole intention of the program was to help older workers get out of the workforce during the Great Depression and not go destitute while allowing younger workers to come into the working world because unemployment was at all-time highs. So now we have this situation where we can substantiate or sustain people's you know position in the economy. However, at the time, you couldn't collect it until you were 65, and the average age in 1935 of life expectancy was 63. Pretty well-funded, Yeah. Right? Sure. And you had, and I might be wrong in these stats, but I believe you had something like 11 or 12 people paying in for every one person collecting, and clearly that person wasn't collecting very long. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to today, those numbers aren't even close to the same. No. Now you have life expectancies in the, you know, in the 80s, mm-hmm. arguably. People are still able to retire on Social Security between the ages of 62 and 70, 67 being the predominant full retirement age for most. So that's only gone up by two years, but the life expectancy has gone up by... I don't know, let's call it 20. And the workforce, uh, you know, with baby boomers retiring, the amount of people collecting versus the amount of people paying in is a lot more. So I think, you know, we need to address that where it is, in fact, going to run out. I mean, it's just a fact. Yeah. But nobody wants to be the one to have that difficult conversation. No, there's this uh, acronym out there, NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, which stands for not in my backyard. And that comes up when somebody wants to build like a prison. Yeah, great idea. Build more prisons, some people might say, but just don't build it in my backyard. And as I approach retirement, and it's out there on the horizon, not imminent, but I, you know, really hope and I'll be upset if Social Security's not there for me. But I have daughters who are all under the age of 20, and I just would never tell them, hey, don't worry, it'll be there for you. You guys have to come up with a plan on your own. But there is this idea, like, where's the cutoff? Like, okay, you're 60, you have every right to expect Social Security. Okay, you're 50, like, sorry, you're not going to get it, or you might get it if you're 40. Like, I don't know how our government ever balances or institutes an age where they just say, all right, if you're X age, it'll be there for you if you're one below that, it's not going to be there for you. And I know you and I have talked about it before, and I don't want to misquote you, but I think you've said uh, you're somewhat skeptical that it will ever fully sunset and go away. Yeah, I don't see it. Um, And that's not to say never. I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. Because of the political toll that would take on whichever party is deemed to be responsible for it? Absolutely. And I also think it's it's somewhat critical for the virility of the U.S. economy. Uh, I mean, we can talk about how Social Security may or may not be there, but a large percentage, I would argue over half at least— is not just hoping for it, but they're relying on it yeah. for more than half, I would guess, of their retirement yeah. income. So you remove that, and we're going to have some really big problems with older Americans being impoverished. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever talked to somebody who's retiring exclusively on so exclusively on Social Security, a lot of them would argue they're already impoverished. Yeah. So take that away, and then and then what happens? Now, what we do to change it is really the big decision, and it doesn't appear to me that we have anybody in Washington that's willing to have that hard conversation with saying, all right, here's what we have available. We can raise the retirement age at a certain age, so we can make cutoffs, and maybe for your 20-year-old daughter, now full retirement age is 77 years old. Who Mm -hmm. knows? But at least we know, Um, and by doing so, now we know that it will stabilize this situation. 
we can raise the amount that we pay into it. Mm-hmm. So currently we're paying in about 6.2% and then our employers match that. Okay, so we can raise that to seven or seven and a half. I'm sure everybody would be really happy about their paychecks <laughs> dropping. Um, we can change the inflation adjustments, which I'm sure everybody would be really happy about in the midst of our current inflationary environment. Sure, the check go up. We can change the calculation, meaning, okay, yes, it'll be there, but you're going to get less, and that has no bearing on your age. We're just going to start with a less dollar amount. Um, or, and the big fear, and this is where it gets really, you, you said earlier, I believe, that, you know, or maybe it was in the previous segment, that there's a philosophical difference between, you know, Democrats and Republicans. This is where we really get to that philosophical difference, and that is something called means testing, or you'll hear it worded in different er- in different circumstances. But I think we're experiencing some of that means testing right now in the housing market as we see that now you can actually get a lower rate if you have a lower credit. So means testing as it would relate to social security would be you were very disciplined. You had delayed gratification. So you were, instead of going and buying the fancy car, you bought a reasonable car, you saved the money, you built up this huge nest egg, hopefully a huge nest egg, or listen, if you spent your whole life doing it, it's, it's huge to you, no matter what that number is. And because you did that and you did all the right things, you don't get Social Security, but the person that blew all the money and bought the fancy car, they get Social Security, which is what we're seeing well, right with now. The, with the mortgage rates, with the mortgage, mortgage rates. costs, rather, the cost of a mortgage, yeah, we are. It's really odd. You know, we've been taught kind of our whole entire life, uh, the general rule is do things right because things will be easier for you because you've done things right. Pay your credit cards off in full. Don't carry credit card balance. Get a high credit score. Now, as of May 1st, those things don't really work to your advantage. They Well, they work to your advantage in a lot of ways. I don't mean to say a, a bad credit score is a good thing, but when it comes to mortgage fees, not a good thing. So uh, that's a little off the path that we were on, but nevertheless, uh, there are things that change depending upon who has the power to change them, and that is one of those things. So as you think about saving for retirement, as you contemplate taking advantage of the free consultation that you can get with Josh and his team to get to know them, have them get to know you, determine if you're a fit for each other, which my wife and I determined that, and we're very happy Aptus clients, you can make the call to their office and set up that appointment, 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment online by going to their website. Their website is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. There's a perception out there that when you retire, your costs go down. You're not commuting to work anymore. Maybe you have your house paid off. You don't have to pay for employee-related expenses. Like maybe your clothing budget goes down or whatever. Uh, is that true? Is that a perception that people can count on when they get to retirement, that their costs go down? And then the next part of that is, okay, then uh, if my costs are going to go down, then what percentage of my current income should I plan to need or plan to uh, have at my disposal in retirement? Yeah, there's a bunch of rule of thumbs. Uh, so the, the old rule of thumb was between 70 and 80% of your pre-retiree income you will need in retirement. Now, it's a rule of thumb. Annually. 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 Yeah. And I think it's just silly because everybody's lives are different. For example, if I know the year I retire, I'm going to pay my house off. Mm-hmm. It would be naive for me not to ignore that reduction in my monthly expenses. Sure. If I knew that I was saving 20% into my 401k every year, I'm not going to be saving into my 401k when I retire. So there's 20% right there that I get back into my pocket, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm self-employed and I'm paying both sides of Social Security, there's 15% between Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. 
well, if I was saving 20% into my retirement plan and 15% was going to Social Security, that's 35% right there. So 65 is a good number for me before we even start talking about other things. So it's important that these are all rules of thumb and we need to negotiate um, and kind of navigate those. However, you asked a, a very specific question that was, you know, what do people spending typically look like in retirement? And conventional wisdom was always, you're going to need, you know, whatever inflation is, 3% per year more than you did the year before. Mm -hmm. And while inflation obviously impacts the way that you, you know, you live your life, it's been my experience that very rarely does somebody come in on an annual basis and go, it's January 1st, here for my extra 3%. You know, that's just (laughs) not the way we live our lives, right? Right. So usually the way that it works is you'll keep kind of a consistent amount that you receive. And then periodically you'll go, well, you know, we decided to take a vacation, so I need an extra five grand. Mm-hmm. Or last couple of years, for example, groceries are through the roof. I'm going to have to kick it up by a couple hundred bucks a month. That is not a consistent 3% per year. The other thing that we've learned very recently is there's this concept that apparently has validity, and I've seen it uh, in my own practice, something called the retirement smile. And the idea of the retirement smile is if you think about a smile – on it's high on one side, mm-hmm. high on the other, goes down in the middle. Re- people's retirement expenses start very high in the first couple years of retirement. You do all the things that you wanted to do, all the travel, all the things. And then we start getting a little bit up there in age. And if you've been around anybody who's got up in age, they usually start traveling a little less, mm-hmm. don't want to get too far from their doctors. Sure. They feel comfortable in their hometown. Spending actually declines. And then towards the end of life, those medical expenses tend to pick up and exp- spending goes back sure, up. end of life care and things like that. But if you do the math, adjusted for inflation, so I'm not saying that you're not going to need inflation adjustments, but on an inflation-adjusted basis, if you take that smile and you flatten it out, people's expenditures actually go down by about 1% per year throughout their lifetime. It's just bookended on both sides. And then you accommodate for inflation and it's going up, but it's not going up by, it's going up by inflation less 1%. Okay. Interesting. Josh and the Aptus team are located in Lewis Center. Their offices are just off Route 750, 614-917-1040 if you'd like to get a hold of Josh and his team. So here's some numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics about what people who are 65 or older spend on average per year. Okay. I'm going to be surprised if this... Uh, anything surprises you. Uh, as you might expect, uh, those who spend less than $10,000 a year, small number, 2.1%. I'm just going to do a cutoff kind of in the middle. 60% of people spend less than $40,000 a year, 40000 or less. Okay. Okay. And 40% spend more than $40,000 a year. And the biggest percentage of that. 28% uh, of the total population is spending uh, less than $75,000 a year. We have a relative few, I would say, about 13% of retirees are living what I think most people would perceive as the really good life. They're spending $75,000 a year or more. But let's think about that for a second. $75,000 a year or more, 13%, that doesn't sound like a normal dispersion of wealth in your earning years, right? So that speaks to, regardless of the amount of wealth you have, you probably don't need 70 to 80% of your pre-retirement income, right? Because we know that more than 13% of the population in the United States makes 
more than 75%. We mm-hmm. already know that. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. know that to be true. So that is not shocking me. Uh, and what might shock you is regardless of someone's net worth, those numbers don't change a lot. So, for example, I can think of numerous people off the top of my head who are clients of mine who are millionaires, if not multimillionaires, that are living on less than $40,000 a year. And that comes as a huge shock to people. The biggest challenge they have is I have to take minimum required distributions. I don't want the money. I don't need the money. What can I do with it? And I've asked all of these people, what is the logic behind that? Why Why are you living? Because a lot of people would say you're living like a pauper. Why are you compared... living so modestly? Yeah, why? Yeah. And their answer to a, to a T is always the same. I've lived my whole life conservatively. And as a result of that, my life has been simple. And I like my life simple. Hmm. I've had all the things in my life. I've had the fancy cars. I've had all the stuff. And it didn't bring me any enjoyment. All it did was bring me more trips to when you have five cars, you got to go to the mechanic five times as much as one. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a big house, it's more to X. It's more of this. And, you know, people say, well, if you got a big house, you got to, I wouldn't want to clean it. I assure you they weren't cleaning it. They were paying somebody to clean it. But then that's an additional expense that they said is just kind of frivolous and unnecessary. And if you have a $2 million net worth or $3 million net worth, you probably don't have house payments, car payments. All you have is utilities and taxes. If you were only taking money out of your investments for nothing but just enjoyment, how much money would you really need? Now, that's different for everybody. My wife would tell you I probably need a lot, <laughs> and she would need very little. But how much would you really need? Right. So that's why... It's very important to structure your retirement accordingly because, you know, we can talk about whether you should pay your house off and what, how that applies to this. Uh, what are the tax implications mm-hmm. of living on 75 versus 40? There are some huge advantages to having a low monthly requirement in retirement. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. And if you say, wow, that sounds good to me, I'd like to get in a position where I have a big nest egg there and I'm spending modestly in retirement. Well, that requires discipline. And now is the best time to start ingraining that discipline if you haven't before. And it also, in my view, uh, kind of emphasizes the necessity of having somebody who is really on top of your retirement. For the longest time, my wife and I did it ourselves. And let me just tell you, I think we did okay at it. We didn't do uh, catastrophically bad at it. But the one thing we didn't have was peace of mind about the fact that we were doing it right. Uh, For me, having somebody who is legally obligated to be on the case and be doing things that, as I said, he's legally obligated to do for my benefit, that gave me the peace of mind that I didn't have when we were doing it ourselves. Any fiduciary will offer that to you. Josh and his team are fiduciaries at Aptus, 614-917-1040, to take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. You can also set up your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. I find that to be kind of a remarkable... Uh, awareness of people that they have the means if they wanted to, you know, quote unquote, go hog wild and spend a bunch of money in retirement. But they've recognized that they had those things. And I don't know, maybe it's a desire to pass it on to their children, their grandchildren or whatever. But I just find that to be um, kind of an, an ende- more than kind of a very endearing mindset to not spend everything you have, even though if you wanted to, you could. It's life's greatest paradox, right? For anybody listening who has never been able to buy all the stuff they want, <laughs> they go, well, I'd like to find out for myself, yes. right? Yes, 
but you have to find out for yourself before you realize that you didn't need it to begin with. You know, if you're into watches, you want to have a Rolex or whatever your fancy watch is before you realize it's just a watch. If you're into cars, you want to have a really fancy car before you realize, well, maybe it's just a car. Now, for everybody who's listening and saying, well, that all sounds good. Are you really teaching us to be paupers and live off of nothing? I assure you I have clients that have no problem spending mm-hmm. all sorts of money and they really enjoy it. Think of the uh, you know, the clients that would be the professional athlete spenders, sure. right? They like spending sure. it. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I'm not somebody who wants to live you know, on $2,000 a month either. So I, I totally understand. All I'm suggesting is those numbers really don't shock me because I would say it's representative of my client base. Yeah. And two, we've chatted today and in other shows about uh, that decision. Like there are some decisions that are compelled. You have a time where you have to take social security and I don't know, maybe that works the same with uh, other investments or maybe you have to make, I know it works that way when you come to distributing some of your assets to your kids, there's a time where you have to do it. And if you die before that time, then that messes up or not die, but it messes up your Medicaid. I know we dealt with my parents on that kind of stuff. So what I'm getting at is that um, in terms of Social Security, uh, do you find that when people retire, most of your clients like, that's it, no more work, I'm done? Or do you have people who quote unquote retire and still have a part-time job or maybe even need a part-time job to augment what they have saved for retirement. A hundred percent. Yeah. And there's some, some caveats you want to look at there before you're the age, the full retirement age that applies to you. So that's somewhere between 66 and 67 before you reach that age. If you go to work and collect social security, there is an income threshold before your social security will actually start being reduced. And for easy math, let's just say that 20,000 bucks roughly for every $2 you make over that, they take a dollar of your Social Security back. Mm. So, you know, what you don't want to do is say, well, I'm going to go keep working, making $70,000 a year, but I'm going to take my Social Security at 62 because I think it might run out because, sorry, but it's going to get all gobbled back away from you anyway. And it's going to act like you never took it to begin with, so it's not like you, you know, lose your credits. But once you're 66 or 67 and you say, you know what, I want to keep working. Why would I quit working? But nobody in my family has ever lived past the age of 73. Well, then absolutely start collecting Social Security, Mm -hmm. bank that money, put it in whatever you want to do, right? And for some people, collecting Social Security might be the way that they need to go take on that passion project, that job, that whatever it is. I've made a lot of money my whole career, but I've always wanted to be a XYZ. Mm -hmm. But that XYZ doesn't really pay a whole lot, so... I'm going to go do that, but Social Security will enable me between the two. I'm, I'm okay. So it's not always the right decision or the wrong decision. And, I, and unfortunately, Bruce, I hear a lot of these kind of anecdotal things where people say, well, I was talking to my friend and he told me you better take Social Security at X age because of yeah. insert one out of 19 things you should be thinking of. And unfortunately, people base their decisions on that. So you got to ask the right questions. Yeah, we've chatted before about the fallacy of kind of grading or deciding what you should do by what somebody else should do and evaluating your own success at it by, you know, what other people say they made. And a lot of times that's not even true. When it comes to one word that keeps coming up as we talk about uh, reaching financial independence and the work that you do on behalf of your clients at Aptus is planning. And it's not just planning to save and it's not just being disciplined in saving. Um, I'm curious as people approach retirement, they're are um, oftentimes 
uh, a great desire. There is oftentimes a great desire to pass some of that along to grandchildren or whatever. And that brings into the equation estate planning, trusts, and all those kinds of things. For people who are approaching retirement in the little bit of time that we have left, like is there a is there a period of time in their life where they should be starting to think that, or do those things change so quickly that you should put that off until like way late after you're retiring? I mean, the sooner the better. You should start. You should start educating yourself uh, because there are certain things that have timelines, and if you miss those time windows, then you've probably put yourself in a disadvantaged position where you might not be able to do some of the things that you could have really helped yourself with. Now, am I suggesting that everybody should run out at the age of 22 and get a, you know, Medicaid spend down trust to make sure that when they go into a nursing facility that they, you know, they have their assets protected? Of course not. That would be cumbersome, foolish, and not helpful. But I do suggest that, you know, if if you have a significant asset base, and what would be a significant asset base? I mean, if, you, if you're sitting on a half million or a million bucks, and even if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, which is pretty young. Yeah. You should 100% be speaking with, you should be incorporating an estate planning attorney in with your financial planning. And we, of course, can help you make that uh, arrangement if you don't already have somebody. Yeah, and Josh has talked about integrating you know, your attorney, your estate planner, your financial planner, a lot of things. Uh, think of it as a team. And a well-managed team is a successful team. And that's what we want to set you up for. That's what they are about at Aptus is getting you to retirement, to financial independence, Um, being a winner, being a winning team. Their number is 614-917-1040. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. Get to know them. They'll get to know you. Again, they're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, just a bit north of 270 and 23. And Josh, we'll see you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.